Good morning. Great to see everybody this morning. Uh, my name is Chris. If it's just your first time with us, it's just a, a pleasure to have you. I hope that uh, today turns out to be a really good day for you. Um, <clears throat> last semester in Reengage, uh, there was someone who's telling a story. So part of Reengage is different couples tell their stories. This one happened to be on video, and that was a story uh, which is pretty common. Which uh, the guy uh, confesses that uh, he was basically a jerk in lots of ways, and it was it was seriously he had he had cheated on her, and he had um, been entirely selfish in his interaction. And she had an interesting thing to say. She said, "Well." I had given up. I would totally given up. We were, we had, it had been like two years and she said, I, I, I mean, we were still married, but I had just totally given up. And she said, and then, um, I met Jesus and she said, I fell head over heels in love with Jesus. And I hadn't heard that phrase in a long time. Uh, it really hit me. And a couple weeks later in our group, one of the guys in the group, when we were sharing prayer requests, he said, pray that I fall head over heels in love with Jesus. And so this year, we're going to start with that idea. And here's the key piece. Whenever we start the new year, we, we want to be able to, as a church, move in a direction. And uh, as a church, we can strategize and we can uh, talk and we can speak and we can come up with a mission and vision and all kinds of things. Uh, but what makes our church improve is when you fall in love with Jesus. When anybody in our church falls in love with Jesus, it impacts our church. It makes us a better place to be. And so that's what we're going to work on. Uh, during this series, we're going to give you different tools to be able to do this. Oftentimes we get really confused with tools and uh, one of these things, uh, the first one, uh, by the way, this one looks really cool. You're going to want to pick this up at the concierge. This is our personal growth plan, which we've had for a while. It just didn't look this cool. Um, and the top piece there, it talks about a time and a place with God, that you would spend a little bit of time every day, and you would pick where you're going to do it, when you're going to do it, and you spend that time with God every day. That's part of enhancing the love that you have for Jesus. And uh, it's really easy to get confused and think, oh, God's all into me having a time and a place. So what God wants me to do, have a, have a time and a place. So as long as I have a time and a place, I get points for that, right? And then it all, it all becomes about the time and the place. No, no, no. You don't do that with eating, right? You don't do that with eating. You don't go, look, it's all about the eating. It's, it's all about the eating. As long as you just eat, that's what matters. You just eat. No, it's about that you take the food and what the food does to you. It's what that interaction that happens. And with these tools, it's about the interaction that happens between you and God. It's not about the tool itself. But we want to be able to practice those things. So I encourage you to pick these up. Next week, we'll begin to teach you how to use these. So falling head over heels in uh, love with Jesus, what we're going to do today is we're going to take a heart-to-heart -heart look in the mirror. This is about you. We're going to start with talking about you and your heart, and we, we want to help you be able to take a look in the mirror at yourself in terms of uh, a little bit about are you head over heels in love with Jesus, but how would, you, how would you do that? How do you interact with him now? What's it like for you in your life now? And so uh, um, I think one step ahead, guys. Um, 
So the first thing that we notice when we look in the mirror, and I'm, I'm guessing, I'm presumptuous, I'm saying uh, this is what you do. When you look in the mirror, the first thing you might, you're going to see is that deep drumbeat inside of me that says, I was created to connect and be more and love more and be loved and belong. Almost no one comes to church because they're like, you know what? I'm good. I'm good. I look in the mirror, I'm amazed. Look at that guy. Like, he's incredible. Those guys stayed home. There's a few of them out there, but they stayed home. We come here because we want more. And when you look at yourself, you know you want more. You dream of more. There's not a man in this room that's married that doesn't look in the mirror and go, I know I can be a better man for her. I know I can. I want to. But there's a shortcoming. It's there. It's that heartbeat, that drumbeat that you were created to connect and belong. And there's times that you have relationships and, and there's these moments where you do begin to connect, where you really do grab a hold of each other and you're like, man, we are head over heels in love with each other. This is awesome. It's really hard to hang on to, right? And especially in our relationship with God. It's really hard to hang on to. It's, it's, it's our heart. When we look at our hearts, we want more. The Bible, in the Bible, and we're going to be working through Romans in this series. And in Romans 1, he starts it off by going, look, I want to, I want to explain the gospel to you, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But I want to, there's this, this specific thing he says. He says, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God is revealed. Now, lots of times people say, oh, God's so good, and you see God here, and he's so good. But the truth is, in the world that you live in, you rarely see the righteousness of God. You rarely see it. What you see is a lot of hurt, a lot of frustrated people. You go to work, like what I hear back, it's not true when I go to work. Uh, at least I hope not. Diane works with me. She might be able to tell you. Uh, there's like three or four of us that work in the office. We, we like our jobs. Right? It's pretty good. But most of you, what I hear back is, yeah, I go to work. People at work are miserable. They're miserable. You don't get to the end of your day and go, man, I saw God at work everywhere. It's kind of the opposite, right? But you want it. You want it. I just saw a new couple, a new little, little baby. That, that's one of the times when you want it. See, you want that, you want the righteousness of God, you want to be that person for your child. That's what you want. Now, by the time they're three, it's all war by then, but when they're first born, right, you're like, ah, this is what I want for my child. I want to be that. I want the righteousness of God. That's what you're actually after. You were actually created to experience the righteousness of God, how good God is. You're also looking for meaning and purpose and belonging. 
Purpose is a really interesting thing. I, I did some reading on it, and I, I've done reading on it uh, several times, and it's fun to go to like, the, the, the psychological world or the world that is trying to explain purpose without God. And so they can't figure out what in the world it is. They don't know what the purpose of your life is. They just know it's really important for you. Because what purpose does is it gives you direction. When you know why you're here, then you're like, okay, that's why I'm here. That's what I need to get done. That's where I need to go. When you don't have any purpose, you're lost. When you don't belong anywhere. And for, for a number of you, this is a real issue. You grew up in a home where your parents really never communicated to you that you belong. You, don't, you feel like, I don't belong anywhere. But you want it. Your heart wants it. It's what, it, I'm not going to say it drives you because sometimes, oftentimes you can't find it. But it's always there. It's what you want. This causes us to go, I need. I need. And oftentimes it's I need a boyfriend or I need a girlfriend. I need. Because maybe if I could find that relationship, it would fill that hole that I have for righteousness and for belonging and for purpose. And whenever you fall head over heels in love with somebody humanly, it does fill the need for a little while from a feeling standpoint, right? It feels so amazing. And that, the purpose of loving that person it just gives you so much direction. You remember. Remember how you would wake up in the morning and that's the only person you would think about and you would go to work and, and you had to discipline yourself not to text them. How long have we been texting? Because I didn't text the one that I, like we didn't have computers when I was going through this process. But I'm guessing you did. You remember that, right? It was so easy because you had so much purpose because you were so head over heels in love. You're like, yeah, I think it's fulfilled by that. But then life goes on and it comes back, right? The whole comes back. Only this time, maybe it's deeper and wider because you thought that was going to fill it, but it didn't. There's other things, other relationships, dad, and, and, or a friend, or a sister, or a brother, and you're like, yeah, yeah, that, and you're pursuing that. Then there's this whole love myself thing, really big in our world, that look, you just need to be able to love yourself, and I, I'm sure a number of you have gone down the trail of, yeah, I need to love myself better, I need to accept myself better, I need to do all that stuff better, and it, it, it works for a little while, but nope. Comes the big hole. There's this thing out, it's still floating around there, and the idea of it still floats around there. There's this, uh, this, there's this whole, it's really a religion it's the idea of a, the, the secret. and You have the ability to control the universe. And if you just, you just focus on what you want, you speak what you want, you just go after it and you want what you want, it really, really works until you run into real life and really tough stuff. Nah. How about a fulfilling career? I mean, it's really big. It's everywhere. 
And it's repeated over and over and over again. This idea, yeah, that's what I need. I need to find a fulfilling career. I need to find a job I love because if you find a job you love, you'll never work another day in your life. (laughs) Guys, that's not true. It's not true. I love my job. I just hate going to work. Right? Right? You still got to go to work. It's amazing. They say that this is a crazy statistic. They say that only 10% of the workforce is happy in their job. So we have a generation of people who've been told, find a fulfilling career. We have all these people trying to find a fulfilling career, and 90% of us are miserable. And those of you who go to work, again, you keep telling me that's true. I gave that statistics once, and after church, people goes, man, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed it's that high. I thought people were more miserable. <laughs> it's, it doesn't do it. It doesn't work. Or a fortune. I, I believe in this all the time. I mean, there are so many problems I've run into that I've been like, look, if I had $37 million, this problem would go away. <laughs> right? Like every, basically every problem I can think of in my life. If I had $37 million, it would go away. Now, I've never, I've never been able to test that. If you want to help me out there, that'd be great. I'd like to test that one. But from what I hear, that doesn't work either. But when we look at our hearts in the mirror, isn't that what we see? We're pursuing those things, right? We're not pursuing those things like, We came up with a strategy and we thought it was a good idea. It's our hearts going, you need something. You need something. You need this. Go for it. Then the next one is, uh, it's a thought that if you've been around Skyland for a while, it's written that way. It's written as if you've been here for a while. If you haven't been around Skyland for a while, these might be new to you. So it's worded this way. I'm done pretending that love is. Because we intuitively pretend that love is these things, but, but it's not, okay? So I'm done pretending that love is a feeling. Love is not a feeling. That's what feelings do. Lori is going to share a really cool thing that we got to experience over Christmas and, and New Year's at some point over the next six months. She's going to tell you the story. It happened to her, and so it's not as good if I tell the story as if she tells the story. But if you, it, it, it was very romantic. So if you see me and Lori all touchy-lovey-feely stuff, right, over the next month, it's because of what we experienced over the, right, over the, over the New Year's. It's just awesome. Like, she'll walk in, out, we're going to be like this, right? It's going to be great. It might be embarrassing. You might want to have to put your eyes over your children's eyes. It could get bad. It's not going to last. It's not going to last. Unless I keep doing that, and I can't afford to keep doing what I did over the last couple of days. Does that make sense, right? You know that, right? Feelings, they just, they just go up and down. That's not what love is. Love can create amazing feelings. Amazing feelings can be the product of real love. But that's not what love is. Secondly, I'm, I'm done pretending 
that love is when you do what I want, I will love you. When you do what I want, I'll love you. It's called works. It's love by works. Now, this one you might want to camp on a little bit. You, you probably have to think about for a little bit because most of your relationships are built on this kind of love. Many of you say to yourself, you don't, you don't even hear yourself say it out loud, but you say it to yourself. You say, well, I can't love him. Look what he's doing. I can't love her. Look what she's doing. And you get with your friends, and you tell your friends the story, and they all go, oh, yeah. You're totally justified never talking to them for three weeks. <laughs> but you're totally justified going out on your own for a while. If, if that's what she did, that's because your love is built on how the other person acts. And if they act the way you want them to, you love them. If they don't, you don't. It's so natural to you that when someone says, yeah, that's not love, it's hard for you to grab a hold of that. Because when you love that way, then your relationship with the other person is you're trying to get better. You're trying to do better so that they will love you more. You're trying to get noticed by doing right and thinking right and believing right. And in our relationship with God, if we think this is what love is, then our role is to believe right and think right and do right so that God will love us more. You know what that creates? Fear. It creates fear. Now, guys do this naturally all the time with their wives. I don't know if women do it with guys, but guys do this all the time. All the time. They come home, and whether it's unload the dishwasher, or do the laundry, or help fix supper, or remember to pick up the milk on the way home, right? They do it, and as soon as we do it, sorry about that, as soon as we do that, we sit back and we watch. Is she going to like it? Is she going to like it? Is she going to notice it? Is she going to notice it? She noticed it. Am I going to get a reward? <laughs> Am I going to get a reward? And if we don't get the reward, we actually operate out of fear. Because the other side of it is, uh-oh, I have to do that. Because if I don't do that, she's not going to notice me and she's not going to love me. It's fear. That's not what love is. It says they're using God as my personal genie. We're just going to skip that one. The Bible says this. There is no fear in love. I want you to think about your relationship with God. What role does fear play in that relationship? In what ways are you trying to do something to get God to notice you and reward you? In what ways do you relate to God in such a way that you're like, God, here I am, here I am, here I am. Look what I did. Look what I did. Look what I'm doing. Look what I'm doing. Certainly you would. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. 
many of you have kind of given up on God because you did things that you thought for sure would ensure that he would take care of you. And he hasn't done it the way you thought he would. You entered into relationships and you took steps and you're like, okay, but because I'm doing this, God will make sure this works out. And it, it's not working out. So you're like, okay, I can't, I can't trust him. Because I loved him the way I knew, but he didn't respond. That's because your, your relationship is actually one built on if you do what he wants, then he'll love you. That's not love. It's not love. I am done pretending that love is I will accept any behavior from you. Love is not being blind to or excusing the hurtful, selfish, rebellious actions which will not only destroy you, but everyone you and I care about. This is where you see this is the clearest is an adult parent. See if I can do that on purpose. <laughs> Shall I grab a mic? That's God's helper. <laughs> I'm done pre pretending love is I will accept any behavior from you. Why? Because love is not being blind. Love is not being blind to or excusing the hurtful, selfish, rebellious actions which will not only destroy you, but everyone you and I care about. So when we look at our hearts in the mirror, have we fallen into the trap that, look, God loves everybody all the time. It's all good. And what, God, what love is, is God, God's not going to hold you accountable for what you do. Don't worry about that, man. It's all good. I, I do funerals from time to time. And sometimes I'm asked to do funerals for people who have clearly not only lived their lives, but said, look, I, I'll worry about God later. They not only never fell head over heels in love with God, they've rebelled against God their whole life. And people will invariably go, hey, he's, they're in a better place. They're in a better place. They're in a better place. That's not love. And that's not true. Everybody doesn't go to heaven. So in your heart and in your interaction with God, are you hoping this is the definition of love? Like, in your life, heart to heart, are you going, you know what? I'm going to go to church once a week. Hope that's good. You know what? God, I know you said this, and I know you said that, and I know you said this other thing, but hey, 
you're going to give me a break on this, right? Where's the most painful thing that you ever, ever see this? This is where I think is the most painful thing. The most painful thing is when a parent has raised their child this way. And now their child is 32 years old. They live at home. They're disrespectful. They're putting the parent in, in debt. And that parent just keeps pouring money and excuses into that guy's life. That's not love. So we want to make sure that when we talk about love, we're not talking about something whereby you earn it, and we're not talking about something whereby, oh, yeah. It's just, you're not responsible for what you do. You're not, you don't even have to worry about your part of it in any way, shape, or form. You just, no. It's all good. That, that's not love. Because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. There's numbers of passages throughout the Bible where you can see where God says, look, I will not look upon sin. Every sin will be punished. He's crystal clear about that. And yet at the same time, he says he loves. Now this next one's really big. It's, it's really important. It's really, really important. The next realization when we look at our hearts in the mirror is this. I don't have the power to keep the promises I've made. Now, some of you are interacting with this intellectually, which is great. You're thinking this through, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's actually true. I, I promised this. Didn't keep it. You may not have done it when you got on your knee, but how many of you men have said, babe, I want to spend the rest of my life making you happy. You keeping that promise? Really? Well, then what'd you get mad at her for when she didn't make you happy? How come you spend so much time trying to make you happy? And how much you spend so much time trying to get, make the kids happy and make your boss happy and make your neighbors happy and make your buddy happy? Why? Because that's a promise you can't keep. Remember when that little guy was born? That little girl was born? Do you remember the promises you made to yourself about the, who you were going to be and what you were going to live like? Did you keep those promises? I know what you're thinking. 75%. It's probably more like 49% if you're doing great. You know why you came to that conclusion? Because you compared yourself to all the other humans you know. And you're like, look, no, I didn't keep all my promises, but I kept a lot more promises than my buddy. That's because of the people you hang out with. I didn't keep all my promises, but I kept more promises than the other parents that I know of. You've accepted that humans don't keep their promises. We don't have the power to keep the promise of the ones we've made or the ones we've dreamed of. You remember the promises you made to yourself when you were five years old? 
Some of you made some awesome promises to yourself when you were five years old. Some of you made awesome promises to God when you were five years old. And you remember them. But you haven't kept them. Or maybe when you were 10 or 12 or 15 or 21 or 35. They're great promises. But you haven't kept them. And God created me for. This ties back into the righteousness part of it. This ties back into the God part of it. You don't have those dreams. You didn't make those promises just because you thought them up. You made those promises because you were created by God. You have this desire for righteousness, and you have this this desire. Your heart has this heartbeat for purpose and all of these things because you were created by God. But you can't keep them. There's uh, some pieces. I'm I'm just going to read a couple of these passages. Because as he works through Romans, he really makes this argument. He makes the argument that you're not able to keep your promises. That you know what's true and you know what's right, but you keep suppressing the truth. You keep pushing it down. What do you mean? You excuse yourself for not keeping your promises. You excuse yourself for blaming your trouble on someone else. You excuse yourself for not doing right because other people around you aren't treating you right. He says, although they know God's, the first group is, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. It's not that that God has never told you right and wrong. And it's not even that you don't know that those who break them will go to hell. You actually do know it. You just live in an alternate universe where hopefully it just doesn't work out that way. The next group, the next group says, I'm, I'm righteous. I'm okay. I'm good. I'm all right. How come? I don't do what that guy does. I don't do what those people do. If we interviewed you and you weren't in church and we just caught you someplace else and someone came up to you and said, hey, why are you a good person? You'd give us a list. And on that list would be, I, I, didn't, I don't murder anybody, I didn't do this, I didn't do this, and I didn't do this. You know, what do you mean? I mean, I wasn't like them. And, and what God says is, this will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. Can you imagine if people knew your secrets? If you knew my secrets, you'd never listen to me talk again. If you knew what goes through my head sometimes and what goes through my heart sometimes and and the way I talk inside of myself, you would never, ever listen to me again. We're going to be judged based on our secrets, not what I'm showing you. As it is written, God's name is blasphemed. The next one is, 
the group of people that are they're kind of they're Jew they're in the Bible they're Jews but these are people who think they know God because they believe what's right they know what the Bible says and they know it, and, and they can tell other people what the Bible says and they understand these things these are the people that when they send you emails they put verses at the bottom of them even though in the email they were cursing you out it's it's those people right right. I'm screaming my head off at you and yelling at you because this is what God wants and I'm trying to get God what God wants done. Right? Don't laugh. We all do it. And what he says is God's name is blaspheming among the Gentiles because of you. People make fun of God because you say you represent God. But you don't keep your promises. He sums it all up. He sums us all up this way. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Heart to heart, when you look at the mirror, and you, you take what you really want to be and what righteousness really is and what you really dream to be, and what the, what the Bible says is you don't actually want righteousness from God. You don't really want goodness. You want it another way. You want to get it a different way. It's almost like, I want the fruit of that, but I don't want that. I don't want him. I, I, I don't want that. Now listen, this is important. This is about you looking at your own heart. This is not about me telling you, or even God telling you. This is about you looking at your own heart and God going, hey, this is what you see. This is what we see. He says, now, next, this is important too. As if some of it isn't. Okay, this part, next part, really important. It has to be clear that you choose who you will love and trust. This whole talk, you can throw it out the window if this isn't true. It has to be clear. You choose who you love. And you choose who you trust. You're responsible for who you love and who you trust. You don't get to blame that on somebody else and you don't get to go, I'm just part of humanity. No, 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 no. You're an individual and you know it. You choose who you love and who you trust. Because the Bible says this, so that every mouth may, may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Heart to heart, guys, you're accountable to God. You answer to him because he's your creator. You answer to him because he's the king. You answer him because he's God. All of this is his. He created you. You answer to him. Now, it's already there for you to read the rest of it, but this is how I think we interact with God. We, we, we take our flag, and, and we, we try to find out what God says we should do. That's why you're here today. Part, partly of why you come to church is like, okay, what does God say I'm supposed to do? And then I'm going to go try and do it. Like, what, what do I need to do? So when you, when you get married and you start working on your marriage, people are like, what does God say I'm supposed to do? I'm going I'm to go do those things. Have a child? What does God tell me I'm supposed to do? I'm going to do those things. And in your relationship with God, what you end up doing is raising a flag that goes, God, look, 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 I'm doing them. I'm doing them. Do you see it? Do you see me? I'm doing it. Do you see me? 
Religions all over the world believe, basically, fundamentally believe, that the way that you get God's attention, the way that you have a relationship with God, wrong pocket, is you keep the law. Find out what God wants and do it. I mean, isn't that why he wrote the Bible? Is he wrote the Bible so we would know what to do, and then when we do it, then he loves us. He accepts us. He acts on our behalf. So I, I looked up uh, ways that people think they go to heaven. Because that, that's what this is about in the end. In the end, if you know you're going to heaven, then you know God's accepted you. You know you've gotten his attention. And here, here's what it says. There appear to be five major categories regarding how to get to heaven in the world religions. Most believe that hard work and wisdom will lead to ultimate fulfillment. Whether it is unity with God, Hinduism and Buddhism and Baha'i, or freedom and independence, Scientology, Jainism. Others, like Unitarianism and Wicca, teach the afterlife is whatever you want it to be. And salvation is a non-issue because the sin nature doesn't exist a few believe that either the afterlife doesn't exist or isn't, is too unknown to consider. Derivatives of the worship of the Christ, Christian Judeo-God. People who have some way in it, interacted with the Bible generally hold that faith in God or in Jesus and the accomplishment of various deeds, including baptism or door-to-door -door evangelism, will ensure the worshiper will go to heaven. So as we work forward, as we look at this, I think there's a good chance. I think there's a good chance <laughs> that you interact with God. That if you could just do the right things, he'd respond to that. If you could just do it well enough, he'd respond to that. But he's just waiting for you to do the good thing, and you're trying. What this verse says is God doesn't work like that at all. It doesn't matter what you do. You'll not find righteousness. It doesn't matter how hard you work at it, you're not going to find it. He's not going to declare you righteous. He's not going to accept you. Why? You're a liar. You can't keep your promises. And God doesn't love you by going, I know you're a liar. I know you can't keep your promises, but hey, it's all cool, bud. That's not love. It's not righteousness. It's not God. So, this is where it brings you to. This is going to be a little bit of an odd message for many of you. This is what it means. Stop trying to be good. Stop it. How much of your life do you spend trying to be good? A lot of it. How much of your life do you spend going, I should have, and I ought to have, and I wish I had, and I'm trying hard, and it's... Somebody said to me not too long ago, they said... 
I, I said, what do you think God is in all of this? And what do you think God wants you to do? And they go, I've been going to church and I've been listening to you, but it's hard. I can't do it. This is what I'm telling you today. Don't do it. Stop trying to be good. You keeping the law, you changing your behavior, heart to heart, you're never going to fall in love with Jesus doing that. It doesn't start with you. It starts with you accepting or looking in the mirror and going, if God is righteous and I'm me, there's not a thing I can do about it. Nothing. Now, think this through intellectually. Think it through. If you're an intellectual person, think this through. This makes sense. You can't have a righteous God except unrighteousness. Well, he's a forgiving God. No, he's not. He's a righteous God. And when you enter into this relationship, the very first step that you have to take is you got to stop trying to be good. Now, that's actually really good news. I'm exhausted. Aren't you exhausted? Aren't you tired of this front you keep putting up? That you're a good person? How many times have you said to somebody else, I'm trying as hard as I can? No, you're not. So stop. I don't have to. There's no value in it. It will never get you anywhere. There's a downside to it. There's no hope. It's an important first step. I'm actually pausing because I want you to think about this. You've been told and you've been acting your whole life, if I can just be good enough. Now, some of you today are believers. And you're like, no, 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 that's not true. That's not true. Okay, that's true, but, but, but there's more to the story. Okay, but I want to ask you something. In your life right now, did you fall in love with Jesus one time and you were head over heels in love with Jesus? But along the way, you started to try to act to be good? Like you, you along the way, at first, at first you just you just were in love with him, but along the way you 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 got involved in ministry or you got involved in relationships and you're like, okay, I need to do better, and I need to do better, and I need to do better. And now you're waving that flag again, going, Jesus, do you see me? Did you see what I did? Do you see how hard I'm trying? Did you see me, Jesus? You're not you're not head over heels in love anymore. It's just a bunch of pressure and it's a bunch of fear. Or maybe you're here this morning and, and you've, you've never heard this before. And you're like, I'm never coming back to this church. These people are crazy. I'm sorry I'm taking so long, but I, I just, maybe I'm enjoying this. 
There's a guy up there named Izzy. And when I taught him this, he told me, I'm never coming back to this church. You will never fall head over heels in love with Jesus if you think you have something to offer to this relationship. See yourself for who you are. I want you for a week, for one week, to live in. Stop. Stop trying. Stop it. There's not stop it. It's all going to be okay. Stop because it's not doing you any good. And I want you to live for one week going, wait a minute. Why would God ever love me? Why would... Is there anything I can do to get God to love me? Evidently not. Then what? 